All right, party people, it is good to be with you on this day. I don't know which day it is for you, but I do know that this is the day that the Lord has made, and I'm excited about being with you on this, uh, whatever it is, day, morning, uh, and I'm excited to be able to share this moment with Pastor Perry uh, and an extraordinary woman of God uh, who I have been privileged to know, good Lord, since I was a youth pastor, uh, and I remember um, hearing and seeing how you carried yourself, uh, and then having you come over to do one of the the, the teen conferences, it was a lock-in, uh, and coming over there and sitting down in the back and and watching the way you taught and how wise you were, um, and I've always been impressed. And now, as we've gone on in ministry, now getting to see you even more so than uh, now that we have social media getting to see your political footprint, uh, your the, the footprint and the uh, the, uh, the grasp that you have on culture. Uh, and it's just really great to see uh, how God is using it. And also to be able to follow you on your missionary journeys when God has travailed you uh, and, and sent you on missionary trips. So it's been a lot of fun uh, being able to see all of these things. But I do want to start off, uh, man, I know this is not going to air out, honestly until February, but man, I, I, I want to get your thoughts uh, on what's going on right now because when I saw the actions of what uh, happened uh, yesterday uh, on the 6th of January, uh, seeing uh, the Capitol stormed, uh, I was uh, taken back and I did some um, some deep reflections. And one of the things that I wanted to post, I, I didn't, but I, I thought it would be a good dialogue to have with you, was this idea of truth uh, and how truth is, is established. And one of the things that I looked at, it was Trump as uh, a white male uh, and the power of the white male voice and how the white male historically, uh, we going back to, you know, even uh, to slavery, uh, Jim Crow, how the white man was able to say something. And especially if he was a landowner or a man that was prominent, the idea that this man could not lie or that he would not tell a falsehood uh, was was accepted. So his word was literally law. Uh, and so uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is there any hint of truth to that or is it just me just kind of <laughs> on one of these little journeys again? No, I would actually agree with you a lot on that. Um, I think we've seen that, especially coming from Christianity um, and church is all I know. So anything that I talk about, my faith comes into it and I don't shy away from where I am in my faith. I tell people, look, I'm an evangelical. And so I have no problem talking about what's wrong in the evangelical community. And yeah, the truth is that if white people say it, then there is, it's valid just their their skin color, um, white men, white women. And we can look at even teaching when we look at people when they're teaching or they're preaching. We hold, if a white person says, this is what God is saying, or um, this is what the Bible is saying in this, we take it as fact. I know I've even heard people say, well, let me ask this person. And most of the time they're going to ask a white person what is it that the Bible is saying? We get our instruction from it. We 
um, the way we do ministry, we do from white people. So even when we bring that over into the secular world, it's even more so that if a white person says it or does it, it is, it is a law. And I think that's what we've seen with President Trump coming and it, and it worked so well because we were coming from a president who is of African heritage, African-American, however we want to word it. We're looking at this man and um, for a lot of evangelicals, and we know that in the South, it's greater, it's yes. stronger. That animosity um, is there. And one of the things we have to realize is we cannot legislate the heart. That we have to give to God. So we have seen legislation that has taken place in our country that um, a lot of white people resented but could not do anything about. And so here comes this man who's going to bring about this freedom. And I think for a lot of evangelicals, that probably wasn't even on their mind, but it's in the deep rooted places of their heart that we are sick and tired of others taking our jobs. And, and immigrants became the image of the others, but black people were really at the heart of those individuals because I don't know if you remember when there was a young guy who um, I think he'd gotten into like 20 different schools, universities, yeah. and, and a newscaster said, that's so selfish of him. Why would he do that? And it's like, wait a minute, you should celebrate. Yeah. Here is a young black man that isn't on the news for stealing or yeah. shooting or robbing. Or, or Every robbing. Ivy League school and, is after. Right. And, and so you just kind of go like, well, that's a problem for you that we are successful. And I think for a lot of white people, that has been an issue that black people, re we don't really need you. And unfortunately we have bought into the myth in these last two generations that we need white people to be successful. But if we look back in the fifties and forties and thirties and on back into the 1800s, we didn't need them to be successful. Yeah. Once we got that freedom from being enslaved, yeah. We started doing ridiculous stuff. Yeah, making it happen. In some cases, we were bigger than them, yeah. right? But they began to speak that word into our intelligence and begin to break us down over time. And we started to hear that we were predators. We started to hear that we were welfare queens. We started to hear that we were um, drug addicts and drug lords. And we started to believe the word of the white people. And so, if a white person like Donald Trump says that Mexicans are predators yeah. or that they are, what is it he called them, uh, rapists and something else, oh, yeah. it worked. It's they're, set into they're the sending mind. us their, their unwanted. <laughs> yeah, that it, it's set into the mind of those individuals who have been harboring all of this uh, stuff. So he's been he's been speaking for four years, not even four years, um, five, yeah. you know, or and, so. And yeah, it actually started before he got and, into and, office. And even like with Obama, he's been speaking these things, and it was resonating with a smaller audience. But over time, it started to build, and that yeah. audience began to grow. And he began to just play the same image. If you listen to what he says, he doesn't say anything new. Yeah. He says the same ridiculous stuff and you can prove it yeah. that it's wrong. You can prove that the stuff he's saying is wrong. It has no validity to it. Yeah. But just because he said it, the art of the deal, the guy who wrote the art of the deal, he yeah. didn't write the he didn't art of the deal, <laughs> right? You, you had a ghostwriter who wrote it. You can't even read 
um, the stuff that you're supposed to read to us to make it sound believable when you your speeches are written. You can't even read that. Are we supposed to believe that you wrote The Art of the Deal and it's not on a third grade level? No, you didn't. But whatever comes out of his mouth to his base, and his base isn't just white people. It is Hispanic people. It's black people. It's Asian people. It's Jewish people. It's a broad group of people who have bought into the idea that if he said it, it's factual. Now, and what's interesting about that is that when, when we were in school, one of the things that they told us is that we should preach and teach at a seventh grade level at best. <clears throat> and that when we speak on a level that is that shows the level of education that we've reached, we actually speak over people's heads. Do you think at some level, part of the flaw of the pulpit is that we have begin to bring so much of academia into our preaching that maybe our message has been lost. And then you have somebody that comes in and that is speaking on a second or third grade level. Uh, and then all of a sudden his message catches and you're like, why are people listening to this guy? He's, he's not educated, but at the same token, they understand him. I think that could be part of the situation. But I think I watched a video someone posted recently, and it was a, a pastor's conference. And you may have remembered this. This was years ago. Tavis Smiley did a uh, a panel with a whole bunch of pastors. And Reverend Jeremiah Wright, and I know I'll get in trouble with all of my <laughs> conservative people and even Reverend Jeremiah Wright, yeah. he said something, and it was so true because I come from the Pentecostal movement where it's it's good it's all happy just turn around three times and touch five people and god's getting ready to move it get ready get ready get ready it's about to happen um if you come and sow you're going to get this blessing i think part of what has happened is and a young man said this in our our bible study yesterday so many people have been told what you're going to get so even we have especially in the pentecostal movement you don't really have intellectual people preaching um, we're not really preaching by dissecting the Word of God. That becomes more rare where people are dissecting the Word of God and dissecting history. In the Pentecostal movement, we are preaching for that B3 to come up in about 30 minutes. And we get ready to make you shout and you're going to pour your money into the orphan plate. So I had to back up because I grew up in that. Yeah. But I think what we've begun to do is we are no longer ministering to people's real needs. We're ministering to people's lust and desires, but not to their needs. And that's a difference. I can tell you, God's getting ready to give you a million dollars. That's your need. But if I begin to minister to you and teach you, and this is what black ministries did back in the day. I, I admire um, the history of the AME. And I get in trouble with this, the people in our church. Uh, but the AME, they, they've had that thing where they taught their people indoctrinated them in the understanding of who they really are and their capability. And that's why I say we we were similar because Bethel was like that. Bethel, um, you know, that BTU was was on it. I mean, they were, I mean, you were in class uh, all day Saturday and then you came back on Sunday and had Sunday school. Uh, and there were lots of different trainings that happened even throughout the week. And I think that's what's missing for a lot of people that they're, especially our community, that we aren't teaching people how to live day to day. We, for some reason, we think that's not in the word of God. We think that is, you can't preach that. And so people 
are missing on how to how do I obtain wealth? How do I get out of the situation I'm I'm in? I may not become a millionaire, but can you teach me how to manage better? Can you teach me how to have a more successful marriage? And I think a lot of pastors have moved away from that. We preach it in cliches, but we're not actually teaching it. So you have this guy who comes in and he says, I'm getting ready to give you everything back. Yeah. Almost like that the devil stole from you, yeah. that the Chinese took from you, or you know, that the Mexicans took from you. I'm getting ready to give this all back to you and I'm gonna make things better for you. And he began to talk to the needs of people. And I think when he first started, before he started talking really, really crazy, when he first came out and announced that he was running, he really started talking to the needs of people because at the end of Obama's administration, people, a lot of people were starting to feel like the whole DACA thing had, had cheated us, you know, some other things, and they were feeling cheated, you know, because once presidents get that that lame deck, um, lame duck year, they just kind of, you know, like, yeah. okay, let's just pass a few things and make things good. And people were feeling left out and he spoke to that. And that's how he built that base. And that other group, like I said, uh, that had been waiting for years, you know, the, the people in the Appalachians and mm-hmm. those people that were affected by uh, opioids, they were watching the coal um, jobs diminish. They were seeing all of that. He was speaking to their needs and the church was nowhere to be found, whether white church or black church. And I know people don't like to use color, but listen, we didn't create the black church. Yeah. Um, that was created for us. So those that community for people wasn't there. And he well, spoke- I, let me argue, you said that the church was nowhere to be found. I think the church was in bed the whole time. Like when, well, when you look at the, the way our leaders uh, and I'm not just talking about evangelical because there were some black Baptist missionary I'm, I'm Episcopal churches that went up there and met with. I'm like, are y'all in bed? I mean, that, that they weren't to be found where the people needed them. That's what I mean. Like I they you, weren't there for the people. Yeah, because they um, was no, in there. They were, they, yeah, I agree with you. They <laughs> were, and that's the problem. Yeah. They were in, and, and if you look at the number of people who actually propped him up, he he would not have won without the Christian community. The Christian community. Um, yeah. all, and, and the number of black leaders who yeah. got behind him, you know, they, that number is amazing and astounding. I mean, George Bush had a nice number of church people, but Trump took it to a whole other yeah. level of people. And they it was really feeding the greed of people. Yeah. Um, and, and the church wasn't where it needed to be to meet the need of people. And I think that's why his voice is so much louder. And because those church people are right there with him. So when you have leaders of faith who are trying to speak against it, yeah. It, it's almost as if you're heresy. Yeah. Thank you for listening to part one of Made for Missions with Pastor Mel Perry. We invite you to involve us in dialogue about the contents of today's podcast. Tweet and post about the podcast using the hashtag PastorJDO3 or JDO3 Podcast. Next week, Pastor Mel takes us on a mission shares her call to ministry and how her missionary experiences impact her perspective during the pandemic. We look forward to having discussions with you on Pastor JDO3, the podcast.